we are going to jump back into the Word of God. If you have a Bible or device, we are going to continue in our sermon series through the Gospels, trying to go through chronologically. And today we are going to go back to where we actually started this whole series, John chapter 1. If you want to look there. John chapter 1. Last week we talked about the temptations of Jesus Christ as he is in the desert and he faces with Satan and how he immediately went from one of the most glorious times of his life, his baptism and the sky opening up and God speaking into one of the greatest times of trial in his life. That story is reported in all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Gospels that just kind of give us a synopsis story of his life. But now we're going back to the book of John where we started the whole series. And this is where I will tell you, it is not always easy to tell the exact chronological order of how things take place in the Bible. Unfortunately, the authors didn't write it like a teenage girl's journal where they date every single thing and put a little heart. Don't judge me like that. Come on. Uh, Where they put the little dates and so you know exactly when this happened. So we're trying to piece together. Bible scholars have been trying to piece together exactly what the order is. And so we'll do our best to uh, put it in the exact chronological order. But interestingly, at this point in the life of Jesus... It seems like the synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, kind of drop out for a while. And there's some time that they don't really talk a lot about, but John comes back in and talks about it. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke kind of jump straight to the public ministry where Jesus is popular and people know who he is, but John actually kind of talks about that middle ground where he started his ministry, but he's not yet known by everybody. And so John picks up on this and tells the story of Jesus' very early ministry, when there weren't crowds following him yet anywhere, and he is still somewhat anonymous. And so we jump back to chapter 1 of John. John the Baptist, who I'm going to say, I'm going to call him J the B a lot, just because... My brain immediately calls him J the B. So if you hear me say J the B, John the Baptist. Right after he baptizes Jesus, and he sees the Holy Spirit of God descend upon him and remain in him, we're going to pick up right after that in John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, this is not the next day after the baptism, the next day, a while later, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw and they and where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour which means it's about four o'clock in the afternoon one of the two heard john speak and followed jesus was andrew simon peter's brother he first found his own brother simon and said to him 
We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay. This story might sound a little bit confusing to you if you've grown up in the church and you have heard the story so many times of how Jesus calls Peter and Andrew to be his disciples. Because you might may have heard that story many times, that Jesus goes, he finds them all there on the boats, they're fishing, he says, come follow me. And so you hear that story from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you say, well, this story doesn't really fit. And you might think, like, oh, they have different ideas of how Jesus called them. But they're not the same story. They're different stories. This calling to Andrew and to Simon is not the story of them being on the boat. It's earlier than that. That story, when they're on the boat, is their calling to come and follow Christ and become evangelists, become fishers of men. Become men who follow Jesus like literally every single day, just live life with him and devote their entire lives. But nowhere does it tell us that that was actually the first time that Jesus met Andrew or Simon. This is the story of him meeting Andrew and then Simon, who would become Peter. The story in John is when they are called simply to become his followers, meaning he becomes their rabbi. He becomes the one that they go to to have understanding of the scripture and understanding of life. And this was common in those days for a young man to want to study, to understand God, to understand life. He would often go and sit literally at the feet of a rabbi, a teacher, and the rabbis would kind of question them, get, get a feeling for their understanding, get a feeling for where they were at mentally. And if the rabbi found them worthy, he would then invite them to become his followers. And this doesn't mean like following somebody on Twitter. This isn't like maybe once a day I'll see a sentence you write and be like, huh, like, no, this means like, Literally following a rabbi around, learning all of life from him, seeing how he acts, what he does, gaining the knowledge that he has of everything, trying to become more like them. And the greatest compliment that you could give one of these followers, or as in those days they were called the Talmud or the Talmudim, they were the followers of the rabbi. And the greatest compliment you could give them would you would say, the dust of your rabbi's feet is all over you. Now that sounds a little weird to us. Like, you say I have foot fungus on me? Like, no. You're saying you are following so closely in the footsteps of your rabbi that the dust from his feet is all over you. You are like him. You are becoming more like him. And so he's inviting them eventually to become his Talmud. But at this point, he's just inviting them to kind of get to know him, to learn about him. Jesus is inviting them to find out who he is. 
I want to break this story down a little bit. Jay the Bee is standing there with a couple of his disciples, meaning that he is their rabbi. They are meeting with him, following him, finding out what life is about from him. But then he sees Jesus walk by and he tells the two disciples, that there is the Lamb of God. And so immediately their interests are piqued, of course. In fact, he says, behold, meaning you need to understand this. You need to see the truth here. Behold, this is the Lamb of God. And what does he mean? Well, as Jewish men, they would have understood what J. B. was saying, that lambs in their sacrificial system were representative of sacrifice to be forgiven, to have your sin atoned for. And so a Jewish family had to bring a lamb as a sacrifice at Passover, and that lamb would have to be sacrificed and their blood be drained as a payment, as atonement for their sin. And so when J. the B. says, that's the lamb of God, that's a big statement. That's saying that is God's sacrifice for sin. So these two disciples hear this. We find out that one of them is Andrew, who will become one of Christ's apostles, and they start following Jesus. Imagine this. They've been like living life with John the Baptist, and then they see Jesus, and they're like, oh, bye. And they, and they just go. And notice John the Baptist doesn't argue with them. He doesn't say, hey, wait, you're my disciples. Because John the Baptist understands that his whole calling is to point to Jesus. That he's actually fulfilling his role in his life by turning them away from him and to Jesus. I bet he rejoiced in that moment that they had started to follow Jesus. So they start to follow him, and I love this story. There's so many times in the Bible where the stories just kind of sound kind of nonchalant. And it's like, no, this is a big deal. They start to follow Jesus, and he kind of turns to them, and he speaks. And don't miss this, because these are the very first words of Jesus in the book of John. If you have a red-letter Bible, these are the first red letters in John. Jesus turns as they start to follow him, and he says, What are you seeking? That's a pretty deep question. Even though it's a simple question. Almost like just saying, what do you want? Why are you following me? He says, what are you seeking? It's a massive question. It is the question. And he's not just, it's not a simple question where he's just saying like, hey guys, what you doing? It's deeper than that. He says, why are you following me? And I want you to notice their answer, because at first it seems like a weird answer, but then I think you can see it's actually an amazing answer. It's one of the few times where the, the guys who become apostles do something, and you're like, that was good, good job. Because often it's like, oh, what were you doing? But here, really good answer. He says, what are you seeking? And they answer, Rabbi, where are you staying? Their answer to the question is another question. Where are you going to be? Because that's where I want to be. 
Where are you going, Jesus? Because wherever that is, that's where I want to be too. You're the rabbi. You're the teacher that we want to get dusty from. And so if you tell us where you're going, we will go with you. Their answer isn't, notice, their answer isn't that they want more information. They don't say like, hey, John the Baptist said this weird thing that you're the Lamb of God. Could you explain theologically what that means? They didn't ask for more information. They didn't say, we want to see miracles happen, which they would. But that wasn't their answer. They didn't say, we want to learn perfect theological ideas from you, which they would. But that's not their answer. Their answer is greater than all those things. Jesus, we just want to be with you. That's exactly the right answer. Just as much now as it was then. We are always answering this question in our lives. Jesus asks us, what are you seeking? And if we profess to be followers of Jesus, then our answer should be, I want to be where you are, Lord. Whatever that means for me, wherever that takes me, however difficult the path might be, I want to be where you are, where you want me to be. Jesus responds to their answer by inviting them even deeper. And then he says, come and you will see. He says, what are you seeking? They say, where are you going? He says, come and find out. And they go with him and they spend the day with him. That's when we find out, we already did find out, we find out again, one of these men is Andrew, who later will become an apostle. And as soon as he's done spending time with Jesus that day, what does Andrew do? He immediately goes and finds his brother Simon, and he tells Simon, we have found the Messiah. This idea is incredibly massive. They've been waiting for Messiah for thousands of years, all the way back to Abraham, And he goes to his brother and he says something pretty unbelievable. Hey, you know how all of our people have been waiting for something for thousands of years? He's right down the road right now. We've found the Messiah. I love that after just a few hours with Jesus, Andrew is like, that's it. It's him. He's the Messiah. Just spend a little time with Jesus and you'll see that he's the one He's the answer. Andrew is such a great character in the Bible. This is kind of a side note, but I love Andrew because Andrew doesn't get talked a lot about in the Bible. He's got that classic, like, I don't know if he's the little brother or the big brother to Simon, but he kind of feels like the little brother because Simon gets talked about all the time. And Andrew's like, oh, and Andrew. I don't know if you've ever been that sibling. I was an only child, so I was always the Peter or whatever. Uh but maybe you're that sibling, that your identity is always, oh, I'm my brother's brother. This is where Andrew is. He doesn't get talked a lot about, but every time, every time that Andrew is talked about in the Bible, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Such a cool, small character in this story because he's the one that brings his brother Simon to Jesus. And Simon becomes one of the leaders of the entire church. Remember the story of the little boy who has five loaves of bread and two fish? 
Andrew's the one that brought that little boy to Jesus so that he could multiply and feed the thousands. Another story that's not well, as well known, there's a story of some men who are from Greece, and they're kind of wandering around just kind of curious. They want to know about Jesus, but they don't know, but they're trying to figure it out. Andrew's the one that goes and finds them and brings them to Jesus. He's always somebody that is bringing people to Jesus. And I love this because not everybody is going to be a preacher like Peter. Not everybody is going to be an evangelist and church planner like Paul. But everybody can bring people to Jesus. Even if they're a smaller character in the story, all they do, they understand, like John the Baptist, who is a major character, they understand, Andrew understands, his role is to point people to Jesus. Everybody's role in the story, whether they're John the Baptist or Andrew the little brother, is to point people to Jesus. So then Simon, who will later become Peter, meets Jesus. And we see this amazing moment of foreshadowing in what is going to come later. Jesus looks at Simon, a man whose name literally means listening, but a man who's not known for listening. A man who is a bit of a wild card. A a man who people are kind of like, you never know what that guy's going to do or say. Like, it's anybody's guess. And sometimes he acts recklessly. But instead of calling Simon out about what he currently is now in that time or in his past, Jesus gives him a new name for what he is going to become. And he calls him Cephas, which is the Aramaic word for Peter, which means rock. He says, right now I know you're known as the guy who doesn't listen, even though it's your name. The guy who's wild, the guy who nobody can really rely on. But guess what? That's not who you're going to be. You're going to be a rock. So many of us in this room have a calling on our lives. And maybe it's not something that you can ever see yourself doing because you feel hindered by who you are right now or who you once were. And maybe there's people in your life that are constantly reminding you of who you once were. I told somebody a story this week. I was a pastor in my hometown for five years. I don't know if you've ever read that verse. A prophet is without honor in his own hometown. I can tell you it's true. Because I would go and people would see me and be like, oh man, I remember you from high school. And I'm like, I'm sorry about that. And I would have people even accuse me of things that I didn't actually do. There was plenty of things I did do. Trust me. But I remember one guy came and was like, dude, we used to get high together all the time. And I'm like, no, we didn't. I've never done pot in my life. And he's like, oh, man, I remember. He's like, no, you don't. You made up some memories, but that didn't happen. Right? We can get so caught up in who we once were in the past behind us. But Jesus looks at Simon, and he doesn't say, oh, man, you're not there yet. He looks at Simon, and he calls him out for what he's going to be. 
for what he has the ability to become within the power of God. He immediately speaks to his identity in Jesus. Jesus can meet you in that place today. Whether it's who you are right now or the baggage of who you once were, he can declare who you will be. The next paragraph in John 1 shows us that not everybody's path to following Jesus is exactly the same. It tells us the story of Philip and Nathaniel, who will eventually be known. Most Bible scholars believe that Nathaniel is the same person as Bartholomew, who becomes one of the apostles. Verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we have a very different story. We don't find a story of Philip being invited to investigate Jesus. There's no back and forth conversation about it. Jesus, it would seem, we don't know for sure if Jesus maybe met Philip at another time, but it just says he went to Philip and said, follow me. So Philip skips over the whole, like, get to know you, and he's like, you, come be my Talmud. Live life with me, follow me, get the dust from my feet all over you. And what's the very first thing that Philip does? He pulls an Andrew, he goes and he tells somebody else. He finds Nathaniel. And I love the story of Nathaniel to see how Jesus deals differently with individuals. How Jesus interacts with me is completely different than how he interacts with you many times because he knows who I am. He knows my heart. And he is speaking to Nathaniel. Philip tells Nathaniel, we found him. We found this man for whom the prophets wrote. He says he's Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's answer is great. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel's kind of making fun of Nazareth. Which is kind of funny because he's making fun of Nazareth because Nazareth is kind of a backwoods, redneck town. But what's funny is that Nathaniel is from Bethsaida, which is a backwoods, redneck town. Bethsaida literally means fish house. It's where all the fishermen go and fish. It's a fishing village. And yet Nathaniel's making fun of Nazareth. I imagine it's like being from too small town Montana 
cities that play football against one another, and they like to talk a little trash, right? Somebody from Butte saying, can anything good come from Whitehall? Right? And vice versa. And Philip answers, and I love it, he answers the same way that Jesus does. He says, come and see. So Nathaniel goes to Jesus, and before Nathaniel can even begin to like introduce himself to Jesus, Jesus starts telling Nathaniel about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's very confused because Jesus immediately says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That's a pretty great compliment to get from Jesus, isn't it? An Israelite, a man in whom there is no deceit, meaning he's a man of truth, he's honest, he's a man with no guile. It's a little cocky if you actually think about it. Nathaniel says, how do you know me? Like, you're right, I am all those things. How do you know me? He says, how do you know me? And then Jesus really starts to blow Nathaniel's mind. He says, before Philip called you, when you were under that fig tree, I saw you. Jesus not only knows his name, he not only knows about him, but he knows where he has come from. And maybe even more than that, we don't know this from the record, but maybe Nathaniel's got a spot. A lot of people have a spot, right? You go to this place to have some quiet time, to spend some time with the Lord, just to rest and relax. And maybe Nathaniel's spot is under this one specific fig tree. And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Whatever it is that Jesus taps into there, it's enough to take Nathaniel pretty quickly from can anything good come from Nazareth to Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. He spins real quick. And then I love Jesus' answer to this. He says, oh, son, you think that's something? You think just because I can tell you about yourself? Just wait, Nathaniel. You're going to see bigger things than that. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Or simply, he basically says, Nathaniel, you haven't seen anything yet. The last sentence from Jesus is pretty cool, too. Because if you're a Bible student and you like to make all the connections where the Bible connects to different places, Jesus here is quoting from Genesis chapter 28, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, this story about seeing angels ascend and descend. It's a story from the story of Jacob, who would later be known as Israel, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob has a dream one night while he falls asleep on a rock, which that's another thing the Bible just skips over, like he just went to sleep on a rock. That's weird. He goes to sleep on a rock, and he has a dream. And in his dream, there is a ladder that is going from earth all the way into heaven. And there are angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And the Lord is standing at the top of the ladder, speaking to Jacob. So why does Jesus bring up an ancient scripture in this interaction with Nathaniel? Think back a second. What did Nathaniel just say to Jesus? Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. That's a massive thing to say. He's saying, you're the one. 
You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the king of the universe. And Jesus, when he quotes from Genesis chapter 28, is confirming exactly what Nathaniel just said. And what Nathaniel said was a big deal. In fact, it's the very thing that landed Jesus on a cross later. He's saying, you are God. And when Nathaniel says, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel, not only does Jesus not deny these claims, he confirms these claims by pointing to his ministry, which Nathaniel will witness as the fulfillment of all of the promises of what God has declared that he would do through Israel. It's so good, guys. There's so much here. Like, we've done two whole weeks just on John chapter 1, and we could do so much more. Like, it is so deep. But right now, I want to finish kind of where we started. Back to these first words that are so massively important. Jesus' first words in John. What are you seeking? Maybe, like I said, you have the red letter Bible, and it's the first time you see those red letters of the Lord. What are you seeking? And it's just as important of a question for us today as it was for those disciples then. I have to ask us, what are we seeking in our lives? There's some clues that we can look at. What is it that you think you can't live without? What are those things in your life like, man, if I didn't have that, like, Life would be meaningless. That's an idol. If that's anything other than Jesus and like food and shelter, that's an idol. What does the time that we spend day to day show about what we are seeking in our lives? What do the relationships that we invest our time into say about what we're seeking in life? What does your browser history say about what you're seeking? What does your bank statement say about what we're seeking in life? All of us are seeking. We are created to seek, to understand what is our role in this world, what is our place in this life. All of us have been created that way. There's this deep longing in us to find out what is the purpose. What am I seeking? And Jesus' words echo in our ears again and again. What are you seeking? And my hope and my fervent prayer for us today is as we grow closer to Jesus and as we get more of his dust on us and we know more of what he knows and we do more of what he does, I pray that our answer to that question would honestly and increasingly be where are you going Lord? That's where I want to be. And if that can be the answer that we can honestly give to Jesus then I promise his answer will be, come and see. 
and he will lead us. Let's pray.